Well, after a couple of months of slowly working our way through Romans 8, last weekend I blitzed through Psalm 91, and uh, both of these chapters are full of promises and truths that we can cling to and build our lives upon every day. Things like, we no longer have to let condemnation rule over and mess with us because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We now have an ongoing obligation to live by the spirit. And part of which includes putting to death the misdeeds of our sin nature and our flesh. We're called to live every day as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And there's a glory coming that will be revealed in us and through us that far exceeds whatever present sufferings we're having to face. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In all of that, it's also essential for us to understand that how we experience the ups and the downs and the arounds and the probably even some of the go-arounds again of life are still directly affected by where we choose to make our dwelling place. The best way to demonstrate our love for God and the best place to work out our salvation is to dwell, choose to dwell in the shelter of the Most High as an inhabitant. That option is open to all of us, and there really is no other way to truly live. That being said, even when we put our trust in God, even when we set our love upon him, even when we call out to him and he answers us, we'll still need more protection, more rescue, more deliverance as we go through the pressures and troubles in this life and as we work through the internal conflicts between the desires of our flesh and the desires of the spirit. God is always working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he has promised not to let us be tested beyond our ability to endure. So in whatever challenges we face, if we find ourselves not knowing what we ought to pray and or not praying as we ought, the Holy Spirit from within us and on our behalf and Jesus at the right hand of the Father are ever interceding for us. And what we now call the Last Supper, Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Well, we know how that story turned out. Shortly thereafter, even after Jesus specifically prayed for Peter and for his faith, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. We also know that that was not the end of Peter's story. And listen, that same prayer from Jesus is offered up for each of us every time we face trials and temptations. And regardless of whether our faith holds or fails in a given moment, that's not the end of our story either. There'll be much more life to live and much more to walk out related to our salvation. Back to Peter's story. We know he not only turned back and strengthened his brothers, he also rose up and became a leader of the early Christian movement. And in his life, as well as two letters that he wrote and probably the stories he told that created the gospel of Mark, there's still an excellent source of strength and encouragement almost 2,000 years later. If you got your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, near the back of your Bible, 2 Peter. Over 30 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Peter was living with an awareness that his days on earth were running out. And that strengthen your brother's commission, that thing was still fueling a desire in him to get some lasting guidelines written down. Peter was a fisherman by trade 
who Jesus taught to be a fisher of men. He was a dynamic, bold, charismatic, never at a loss for words man. But he may actually have been illiterate. So probably he dictated his letters to a scribe. Much like today, as this second letter was composed, the spiritual climate was saturated with false teaching, false prophets, and an always lingering religious spirit. So Peter had a clear and definite agenda in mind. He wanted to stimulate and inspire believers to a more wholesome way of thinking built around a devotion to living out their faith in Jesus. Later in the second letter, it says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Since you are looking to that day, and the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Since you are looking forward to that day, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by error and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. From the start of this second letter, Peter laid out a clear pathway to get there. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. It's easy to skip over and read past the introductions of New Testament letters, but there are some things here deserving of a closer look. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I love, I love that he led with a servant. By the time this letter was composed, Peter was the most prominent person in the early church. He'd been chosen by Jesus as one of the 12 disciples. He had spent three and a half years with Jesus. It was Peter who had jumped out of the boat when the other disciples stayed in the boat in the middle of the storm and walked on the water to Jesus, took a quick dunk, and then walked back with Jesus to the boat. It was Peter who was the first guy out of the upper room door on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to share that day. And when Peter shared, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Soon after, one day as Peter and John were going to the temple to pray, Peter told a man who was crippled from birth and begging at the temple, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And that man who'd been crippled from birth got up and walked. And as a result, people brought sick people into the streets. They laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow, yes, just Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And in Acts 5, it says the sick and those tormented by evil spirits were all healed when that happened. After a vivid dream, Peter made a visit to the house of Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit used Peter to open the gospel to Gentiles. And later, King Herod had Peter arrested, but the night before his trial, an angel of the Lord showed up in Peter's prison cell and miraculously walked Peter right out of there. To his eternal credit, with all of that and more as part of his resume, Peter wasn't impressed with himself. Simon Peter, a servant. He used the common Greek word for slave, which more accurately describes a bond servant, someone who'd been set free, but still chose to serve. Which just so happened to be the same word Jesus used in the upper room the same night Jesus told Peter about praying for him. Jesus that night said, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. And Peter took those words to heart and he lived them out the rest of his life. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. We tend to think of and use the word apostle 
related to Jesus' 12 disciples, and that's correct. But in its simplest form, this Greek word means a set-apart, sent one. A set-apart, sent one. And all of us who have surrendered the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ are now one of those. All of us are set-apart, sent ones. While only a few people become capital A apostles, we've all been commissioned to go and make disciples. And we're all called to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're all called to go and make disciples. We're all called to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Tell someone near you, you've been set apart. Tell somebody else, God's got a mission for you. Set apart, sent ones, every one of us. Although this particular letter was written so long ago, it's open-ended and addressed to people just like us gathered here today. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. That Greek word for receive literally means who have been chosen to receive. So that reinforces the truth that we've all been picked by God to be in him. God is always the initiator. And first things first, he chose us, all of us. He leaves the next choice to us. And after we give him our yes, we're saved by faith, not by works. Then we get to receive in faith what we've been singing about this morning, what God purchased and secured for us by sending Jesus. And that kind of faith is loaded up with exponential increase. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel a righteousness is revealed, a righteousness from God that is by faith. The Amplified says, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. So it's a faith that's meant to grow and increase. I also love how Peter presented himself here from a ground level, eye-to-eye place, rather than from an elevated place that could have been his as one of the chosen 12. He opened with, to those who received a faith as precious as ours, not as precious as mine. This opening blessing is a beautiful reflection of the maturity of Peter's relationship with God. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We end our services by speaking a blessing. Many of the New Testament letters open with a blessing. Here, Peter wanted to impart to his readers then and now an abundant increase of God's grace, his empowering presence that enables us to be who we're created to be so that we can do what we're created to do, as well as God's peace that passes all understanding. And he shared with them and us the key we need to access these enhanced levels of grace and peace. Although in English it reads, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, Peter's original readers would have understood him to be emphasizing experiential knowledge. There's three main words for knowledge in the New Testament. The first one is to know it because we have seen it or observed it. Which is the word Jesus used in the upper room with his disciples when he told them, now that you know these things, now that you have seen and observed these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Second word for knowledge is to know the acts and the science of a thing. 1 Corinthians 1.8 cautions us that too much of this kind of knowledge can puff us up and lead us into pride. 
And then the third way is to know by being fully acquainted with something as a result of acknowledging, discerning, recognizing, and putting it into practice, which is best understood as experiential knowledge. As our experiential knowledge of of God grows, there is a clear pathway into an abundance of grace and peace. The message says, grace and peace to you many times over as you deepen in your experiences with God and Jesus. Grace to you many times over. Peace to you many times over as you deepen in your experiences with God and Jesus. The only way to deepen is to have more experiences with God. And more experiences with God require us to have engaged hearts and minds. It's it's far too easy to let Christianity become a religious mental exercise. But the practice of mental Christianity will not satisfy the longings of our heart and our soul. And if we let our minds lead the way, and if we have to have the vocabulary and an explanation before we try a new experience with God, we'll miss a lot of what God has for us to become and to do. Psalm 34, 8 does not say, think and postulate about the goodness of God. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God's plan and God's will is for our hearts and our minds to keep having fresh, first-hand experiences in him and with him. If we get slack or just settle for what we know currently, the Holy Spirit will stir up a God-given desire in our hearts for something more because we're all created to keep growing and keep maturing in our walk with the Lord. So let's not allow ourselves to get adjusted to less than, or that's enough living. Jesus said he came that we might have life abundant and to the full. Don't settle for less than that. And let's not be okay with just hearing about the things God is doing today or just observing other people doing those things. Why just sit back and watch when there is an abundance of grace and peace to experience? Regardless of what you may have heard or been taught, even in some other Christian settings, there is nothing remotely selfless or Christ-like about not needing to experience God. Jesus modeled for us how to live wholly and completely dependent on experiencing God every single day. Then Jesus died and was raised from the dead so all of us could experience God like he did. 1 John 2, 5 and 6 says, this is how we can absolutely know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is a constant invitation from God to us. And we all have the opportunity to choose to live like Jesus did. Jesus walked in daily fellowship with God. So can we. Jesus joyfully submitted to his father's direction. He obeyed his father's commands and he chose to remain in his father's love. So can we. Jesus humbled himself rather than considering equality with God, something to be grasped. So can we. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So can we. And after demonstrating what human life can be, Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to live in us 
as our counselor, comforter, teacher, encourager, guide. Not just so we can learn more facts about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, but instead so we could live and walk like Jesus did. And so that we can experientially know the abundance of his grace and peace on earth as it is in heaven. Peter was a hands-on, on-the-job training and learning kind of guy who valued experiences. Even in what could easily be overlooked as a basic generic greeting, Peter was making a point about our access to grace and peace by highlighting the importance of experiential knowledge. Book learning and study definitely have their place in value, especially that which we gain from time in the scriptures. But the translation of what we learn from books and from other information sources, the translation of those things into real life applications is so essential and necessary for the healthy development of spiritual maturity. Verse three, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge. And again, this is the word experiential knowledge, through our experiential knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. A little bit ago, we just sang, before we ever thought of him, he was singing over us. Well, what Peter wrote here is, before we ever knew we needed it, and before we ever asked, each of us had already been given access to everything we need for life and godliness by God's divine power. In Greek, God's divine power is the word dunamis, power, force, strength, ability, specifically miraculous power, miraculous works. The divine power of God has given us, has given to us, it's meant to be unmistakable, it's meant to be visible, it's meant to be demonstrated, it's meant to be experiential. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 reminds us that this all-surpassing dunamis power is from God, not from us. Acts 1, 8, Jesus told the disciples, you will receive dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Surprisingly, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us dunamis power is a manifestation of God's grace that is made perfect in weakness. And Ephesians 3, 20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his dunamis power that is at work within us. Everything we need for life and godliness comes from God's power as it flows through us and becomes our experiential knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We're each called by name, and we're each called to God's very apparent glory, as well as into his goodness, virtue, and excellence. We're also invited to experientially know all of that. And Peter didn't write anything about waiting to heaven to get on that. The message says, everything that goes into a life pleasing of God has been miraculously given to us. Everything that goes into a life pleasing God, a life of pleasing God, everything, everything, has been miraculously given to us. Tell somebody next to you, you've already got it. Eh, they might not believe you. Somebody else tell them, you already got it. You've already got it. <laughs> Jesus probably would have said it this way. I tell you the truth. It's already in you. 
This divine deposit of God's own glory and goodness has been entrusted to our stewardship. And it is intended to be a dynamic change agent in our daily lives, producing a growing base of personalized experiential knowledge of God. As our experiential knowledge of God increases, more of his own glory and goodness gets unlocked and released in our lives. I'm going to say that again. As our experiential knowledge of God increases, more of his own glory and goodness gets unlocked and released in our lives. And as amazing as that truth is, there's still more. Look at verse 4. Through these, his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. From his own glory and goodness, God has also given his very great and precious promises to us. We can see and experience God's glory. We can taste and see his goodness, but only as we embrace, live in, and live out his very great and precious promises do we get to participate in the divine nature. In his first letter, Peter accentuated a decree of God's will for each of us to become sharers and associates who actually partake and participate in the divine nature of God. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. That decree is another on earth as it is in heaven opportunity that starts with us having a born again salvation encounter with God. And I just want to say right now, you've either had that or you've not had that in the room this morning. Someone asks you, are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus? The, the answer, if, you're, if your answer is, well, I don't know, then the answer is no. Today could be the day. Today could be the day. If you've never given your life to Jesus, he's brought you here for a reason and a purpose. We've been singing about him all morning, singing about his pursuit of us. You're hearing about now all that he's done for us. There's an open invitation. Surrender the control of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let him lead you. That's the only way to really live. It's the only, what do you have to lose? What you're doing is not working anyway. It starts with that. It starts with that moment. But after that moment, then it continues on by progressively setting aside living our way so that we can live more and more in the fullness of God's ways. The Passion says God has given us, all of us, magnificent promises that are beyond all price. Through his very great and precious promises, God has invited us to experience not only a walk-along partnership with him that molds, shapes, conforms, and transforms our will and our desires into alignment with his will and his desires. But also, as we learn to make spirit-led applications of God's promises in our everyday lives, we can become and be more consistent escaping what the Amplified describes as the moral decay rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust, and greed. This word for escape, it means no looking back, no turning back, running hard away from, and after that, shunning completely. Later in this same letter, Peter added this caution. If they have escaped the corruption of this world by experiencing knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, 
They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn their backs on the sacred command passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. After something like that, my kids would say, oof, oof. I mean, as a dog returns to his vomit, as a sow goes back wallowing in the mud, we've turned away. Better off, now I heard it, but God, but God. Because one more of his amazing, very great and precious promises is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You're sitting here this morning and you're involved in something you know you shouldn't be in. You just know. Even right now when I just say that, you just thought of it. Yeah, that thing. You're not supposed to be doing that and you know it. And you know it. What you need to do is repent. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you need to repent. Repent sometimes is this bad word. Repent. You know, it's, actually repent is one of the coolest words in the whole world. I remember Kim Clement used to teach about it this way. Re means again and pent means up. So repent is get back on top again. Get back on top again. And that's what happens when we give ourselves to things that we shouldn't be involved in. It, it's on top of us. But God has made a way for us to stand up underneath that. And it starts with repentance. It starts with owning what we're doing, confessing it to the Lord. And then when we confess it to the Lord, Jesus has already paid the price for it. So there is forgiveness available. We need to receive his forgiveness. It's a gift. Receive that forgiveness. But what's so interesting in this verse is it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He wipes it away. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. In his mind, it's like it never happened again. You know, sometimes people go to God and say, oh God, I know I've repented of this before, but I've done it again. And I think... There's a part of God that would say, done what? Slate looks clear to me. That, that was all clean. When you repented that the last time, that cleaned the slate. That got it done. So there's this owning of it. He forgives us. He wipes it away. But then he does more than that. This word promises that he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And that word isn't just like a surface cleaning. That is a deep cleaning into the very core of who we are. And he goes in there and he pulls out the roots and he pulls out the things in us that would be attracted to that in the first place. Starts with repentance. We receive his forgiveness and we allow his purifying work to take place in our lives. Like we say around here in the announcements a lot of times, what are you waiting for? Living in God's very great and precious promises is meant to be an ongoing, life-changing experience because there is power in each one of God's promises. It's a power that woos us and draws us to be an active partaker and participant in the promises, not just a spectator who is aware of them. And this power initiates and ignites fresh testimonies that inspire, do it again, Lord, kind of faith in our lives as well as in the lives of other people. Living in and living out God's promises by faith isn't a make-it-up-as-we-go proposition, a do-it-yourself project, or do-what-seems-best-to-us endeavor. Instead, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to articulate a process, a clear pathway, 
a reproducible journey of faith that must be added to repeatedly. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you before we ever thought of seeking you, you were seeking us. Thank you before we ever knew your name, you knew ours and you knew all of our days. And thank you that before we ever thought of pursuing you, you were chasing us, singing over us, drawing us to yourself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the forgiveness that you paid for with your body and your blood, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the purification work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as we open ourselves and just allow you to be free and move in us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the calling on each one of our lives. Thank you that we are set apart, sent ones. We're not just going through the motion. We're not just hanging on down here until Jesus comes back. There's people to see, places to go, things to do to advance your kingdom in partnership with you. Every day we wake up, there are good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do together with you. Thank you, God. You could just be seating on your throne, not caring about us as individuals, but that's not who you are. You are right in the middle of our lives. You never leave us alone. You never keep your distance from us. You're constantly working with us and drawing us. Thank you for the many, many promises you've given us in the scriptures. Lord, I just pray you'd help us take hold of them and bring them and pull them into our lives. Make them part of who we are. Release, release in us an abundance of your grace and your peace and your glory and your goodness. Give us the faith and the courage to keep stepping into new things with you. Not plateauing, not settling with, oh, we just know this already. And I, well, this is just what I'm comfortable with. And some of that makes me uncomfortable. Well, get over your bad self and keep stepping into new things with God. Amen. Draw us into the more that you have for us, the more that we're created to experientially know in you and with you. I thank you, Lord. This is true about every person here. You're not finished with any of us yet because we're still here. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Every way, any way you can, Lord, be honored, be glorified, be magnified in us and through us. And we ask this for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen? Amen. 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 So good.